Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, we'll read the entire chapter. Let us hear God's holy word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions on, of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a, heart, a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out, by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand ten times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and there brought him, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom 
and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns which were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints, for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to charge to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and a half time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we had an introduction to Daniel chapter 7 through chapter 12 in the way of introducing Daniel's apocalypse. And so I don't want to cover that all again, but if you weren't able to be here last week, if you're on holidays or whatever, uh, you feel free to go back and to listen to that, to cover it, but let me just summarize very briefly. We are reminded that apocalypse does not necessarily mean total devastation as we see in this world, but it actually means revelation, to unveil divine revelation through symbolism, pictures, metaphors that, that are involved in receiving the dreams and visions to show us what God has in store for the future. We also recognize the purpose of apocalyptical literature is, is that it is to encourage and comfort the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in challenging and difficult times and circumstances. To remind us that things aren't always the way they seem to be in the human dimension. And so, in summary, my points could have said this. Don't put your confidence in man, but rather put your confidence in God 
for his kingdom is an enduring kingdom. And his victory is certain, even though it will come through dark providences and even tribulation itself. Therefore, trust in the Lord and his promises while faithfully serving God in this world. And as we dig in to understand this biblically, in a way of verse by verse or chapter by chapter, I'd like to look at Daniel chapter 7. And I just want to read the key verses of Daniel chapter 7, verse 17 and 18 again. Where we read that that, uh, Daniel's given this interpretation, and we read these words. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And what we see in those two verses, and what we see actually in a breakdown of Daniel chapter 7, is that there is a human dimension to this vision, and there is also a heavenly dimension. So we look at it, first of all, then from Daniel's apocalypse here, from a human dimension, and recognize that this human dimension is still from God's perspective. God is revealing this to Daniel. But it, it is more of a horizontal, a horizontal human dimension. What we recognize is that Daniel is being impacted by his sight, especially in the, this chapter. The visual is what's dominant here. Eight times, at least eight times in these, this chapter, we read that Daniel saw, that he watched, that he looked that he was watching, all of these words remind us that Daniel is seeing something here. And Daniel is writing down the main facts of what he is seeing. And as he does so, we need to be careful not to try to examine every detail, but rather to examine the main message of what Daniel is communicating here and what God is revealing to him. And so what we need to recognize is we need to get caught up, as it were, in Daniel's experience of witnessing this vision. And what happened? We recognize that this wasn't an amusing uh, type of theological exercise for Daniel to try to interpret all the different ten horns, even though Daniel was curious about what, what this all meant, and he asked, and he received an interpretation. Yet, he wasn't caught up in all of the details, but rather in the impression that it made on him about the mystery of God and his purposes through this awful conflict in this world and throughout history. And so what we need to recognize right up front as we look at this human dimension is that it's not necessarily about getting every detail correct in way of interpretation, but it's to make sure that we have the message that's communicated here in Daniel 7 absolutely correct. And what does Daniel see? Well, first of all, we hear about Daniel seeing the sea, the sea. He saw this four great winds blowing upon the sea and stirring it all up. This universal aspect of causing chaos in the sea. 
he saw this great sea. Now, that's compared in verse 17 to the earth. And this sea is a portrayal of the turmoil and the chaos and the waves that would foam out their shame and that separation that is caused by the sea, all illustrating what life on earth, horizontally, in a human dimension, is all about. A life under the curse of sin in a fallen world that only will portray the depravity of man causing turmoil and chaos and pompous type of words and communication and lifestyles. And what does Daniel see coming out of this sea? He sees the beast, the kings of the earth or the kingdoms of this world. Really what he's seeing is a picture of humanity foaming out their own shame in the, under, under heaven. And so as he sees these beasts, the main, main point is that these beasts are these kingdoms that rise out of the earth. And the first beast that Daniel sees is, is, is found in verse 3. And four great beasts came out of the sea. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And if we think about these four beasts that now are coming out of the sea, then we recognize, as we saw last time, that there's a lot of parallels to Daniel chapter 2 also in the historical sections of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 2, we recognize that Nebuchadnezzar was that lion, that, 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 that first animal, that, that he even made a statue of himself, and that was a lion's head. Nebuchadnezzar was that lion. And so this could be Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And it had eagle's wings. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar also was made like a beast and, and there was, was lifted up from the earth to stand two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And that could easily refer to Nebuchadnezzar's salvation also in Daniel chapter 4 as he was humbled as a beast and given the heart of a man. And so Daniel could, could understand this. However, Daniel now is, is, is in the time of Belshazzar, the end of the Babylonian rule. And so what he's seeing from here in the interpretation of it, he recognizes this second beast is something different. It's like a bear. And, and he says in verse 5 that it's raised up on one side. In other words, it's, it's imbalanced. It's that Median Persian Empire that's coming. And that Median Persian Empire has the, then three ribs in its mouth, in its teeth. And, and, and what he's saying is, is that this, this empire is going to have savage power. And it's going to be called to arise and devour much flesh because it has a desire for expanding its kingdom. And that will push the Median Persian Empire to be one of the largest empires that the world has known. But then there's not only the second beast, but then now there's a third beast coming. That third beast, which is like a leopard, we read in verse 6, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given it. 
And we recognize that, that this would be, if we look back at history, the, the Grecian Empire, very likely. Especially the empire under Alexander the Great and all of their desire to, to rule the whole world. An insatiable desire to, to have dominion over the whole world. And, and we see that with the four wings. Uh, like a bird, he, he wants a universal rule over the whole world. And, he, and he's fast to the prey like a leopard would be. That was also an evidenced in, in, in his reign in the Grecian Empire. But now... Daniel is seeing the most important beast that he, that he can see, and it's really troubling to him. And that fourth beast is found in verse 7. As a dreadful and terrible beast, exceedingly strong, doesn't even give an animal's name to it. It says it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. This was a terrifying beast. And even what was more terrifying is, is what happens that comes out of this beast, out of these horns. There's another horn, a little one from among them. And he plucks out three of the horns by its roots. And, and there in this horn, it had eyes like a man. And, and from the mouth, he spoke pompous, boastful words. And Daniel's interested, and he wants to know more about this beast. And so, so in the interpretation in verse 23, we find that this beast, the ten horns, were ten kings. It's showing, really, a full number of kings. Now, this beast started at least with the Roman Empire. And this beast continues even to today. It's a full account of the rest of history after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this beast has a full amount of kings. In the time that God will allow this beast to romp upon this earth. And that comes out of this beast is those horns. That little horn. That smaller horn. And that horn, even though it will supplant other horns, it will be a horn that is like unto the Antichrist. And ultimately will be the Antichrist. Now, when we look at this beast and compare it to Revelation, I don't have time to, to do that all at this very moment. But, but what we do find is that during this time, there will be different ideologies, different kingdoms, and different powers. And they will speak against the Most High God. And they will persecute the saints with an ever-increasing intensity. Even in Daniel chapter 7 here, we find that the saints will be given into their hand for a time, and a times, and a half a time. Which is referring not necessarily to one year and then two years and then a half a year or three and a half years, but rather to there will be persecuted for a time. And then there will be persecuted with greater intensity for other times. And then there will be a, a, a great intensity at the last persecution. But God will cut it in half. He will suddenly appear as the ancient of days and he will overthrow 
this beast and all of her ideologies and powers that has persecuted and influenced the saints in this earth. And what we find throughout uh, the scriptures about the Antichrist is that there will be many Antichrists and, and it will find its fulfillment in, in an Antichrist. And we find that especially in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, but you can also find it in First John to some degree. And we find there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that, that we are called not to deceive or be deceived. For, the day, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, that son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. But ultimately, this will be a difficult time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a time where the beast goes about seeking to devour whom he will devour. And we need to recognize what is behind. Who is behind this beast? We need to see who is behind it. It is Satan himself using the very depravity of man to produce turmoil in this world and to openly engage in conflict against the kingdom of God. That's really the message of apocalyptic literature. And so, what does that mean for you and me today? What does that mean for us today? As we pointed out last Lord's Day, that our expectations ought never to be in man. Our hope is not in man. Man is depraved, depraved to the core, and no better than any of these beasts that rise out of, the, out of this earth, out of that turmoil of the sea. And so each one of us needs to understand that in our own hearts, by nature, lives this depravity, this anti-God spirit, the one who would boast great things against God. Not a one of us can stand any higher than that. And if we do, and we think that we can look down on anyone else in this world, we have deceived ourselves and stood up to God. Unless we understand the depravity of our own hearts and our own lives and our own capability to sin. And through that lens, we need to discern the turmoil of this world. We need to discern it by seeing not who is above it, that's in heaven, God himself, but who is behind it, who is driving it. It is Satan. It is that subtle enemy. It is our own wicked hearts. It is our own desire for the pleasures of this world. And there we will also see then who is above this turmoil when we look at it in our second point, and who provides hope for that turmoil in this world. But in this day, we need to discern the turmoil in this world. We need to discern it from God's perspective as terrible, wicked beasts that are devouring and seeking to devour the saints of God, the kingdom of God. And there has been this conflict of power since the very beginning of time. 
already in paradise, it was promised to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush, yes, the seed of the serpent, but it would continue to try to nip at its heel. It would continue to try to devour it. The seed of the serpent, Satan himself, goes about like a roaring lion, prowling to consume the saints of God and the kingdom of light. And we need to recognize that. And we need to discern the turmoil of this world in light of the fall in sin. And so there's always going to be this historical Babylon and this historical Jerusalem. In other words, the people who who have taken God's people into exile and the people of God themselves. And there's going to be this conflict. Even though it's not literally Babylon and literally Jerusalem, there is a perpetual conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And that will go on until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And therefore, if we only have this horizontal look from a human dimension, a temporal human earthly dimension, within our own perspectives, then we will be led to despair. It will indeed be a depressing vision where we would end today. But that's not what we find in Daniel 7, verse 17 and 18, do we? In that summary statement, those four kings that come out of the earth, What's going to happen to them? They're going to be destroyed. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. You see, all that we know about apocalyptic literature that's found in the revelation of God in His Word, whether you look at Revelation or Daniel or other passages, the already is this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord. And it's all working out till that final day. When the everlasting kingdom will be consummated in full glory. And we will see the king on his throne. Face to face. And that's really the second half of Daniel's apocalyptic revelation here in Daniel 7. It's that heavenly dimension that encourages Daniel, encourages him today, and encourages us today. You see, if our Lord simply wanted Daniel to know the the facts of history ahead of time, he could have just told him step by step, year by year, which kings would reign and what would happen in every single year. And yet the Lord gives him a complex and and multicolored vision that appeals to his senses, that that reminds him of the ferociousness of these beasts, and yet reminds him of the greatness of his God. Because God is revealing something about himself to us today and to Daniel so many years ago. And he's impressing on him and us something of his own awesome and glorious purposes. And if we miss that, we've missed the message of Daniel. God is in control and he is on his throne. And in this revelation, in the interpretation of these visions, what we find here is Daniel is seeing at least three times the same type of time frame. We need to recognize that the time frame in apocalyptic literature is from the time of 
usually of, of Christ's ascension into heaven until he comes again on the judgment day. And that's the focus of the encouragement. And the point is not to necessarily determine what things happen in succession from an earthly or a human dimension. But we need to remember this is heaven's dimension and God's dimension is outside of time. It is eternal. And so verses 9 and 10, 11 and 12, and 13 and 14 are in a certain sense three subunits of the same time frame. Looking at it from a different perspective. Looking at it from one, one point, the ancient of days, and another point, um, the destruction of, of, the, of the little horn of that fourth beast. And the fourth point, or the third one, uh, the son of man. And then it concludes this apocalyptic revelation in Daniel 7 with the interpretation of it all, fitting it all together. Let's look at that a little closer from heaven's dimension. And what we see is verse 9. I watched, I watched, till the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. His hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. This is that history through the lens of looking at the ancient of days. This is not some kind of old man type of theology. Or in our human estimation of what an old man would be. This is, as the Hebrews would have known it especially, the ancient of days is one who would have dignity and wisdom. Notice this. The ancient of days was seated. He had dignity. He was settled. This ancient of days had a garment as white as snow and his head was like pure wool. He was pure. He was glorious. He was filled with wisdom and experience. And from that dignity and from that glory and through all of that wisdom and experience, he executes justice perfectly. Perfectly. His throne is, is, is a perfect place of judgment. There's no one who will be unjustly dealt with and the throne of God God will deal justly with every single individual that ever comes before his throne. That sounds terrifying, doesn't it? If he has to deal justly with me, if he has to deal justly with you, that's terrifying, isn't it? That's a human perspective. But from a divine perspective, from a heavenly perspective. His judgment is perfectly pure and those who are united to his son who are washed in his blood are judged based on his work and his merits. And those who are not united to him, they will be destroyed with the fourth beast where their dominion and, and power will come to an end and their doom is sure. That's the second dimension that you look at. God's perfect justice will deal justly with this 
persecuting little horn. I have sought to devour the saints, deceive the saints. He watched. He said, I watched in verse 11. Because of that sound of that pompous words of that little horn. And I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And all the other beasts, all their dominion was taken away, even though they were spared until that final day. There's the destruction of this little horn. That's the second perspective. That God indeed will deal justly with sin and those who rebel against Him and those who do not find their life in the Son of Man. Because that's the third dimension that's looked at here. The third dimension is, from a heavenly dimension, is is the Son of Man who is given the everlasting kingdom. In verse 13, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is the Son of Man. This is the one who could stand before the Ancient of Days. They brought him before him. And what was he? What did he do in his perfect justice? What did the Ancient of Days? He looked and he beheld a perfect man who is perfect God, who paid the price for sin, who lived a perfect life, and he judged perfectly, raising him from the dead, causing him to ascend into heaven upon the clouds of heaven. And he's given a seat at the right hand of God where he rules over all things, putting all things under his footstool. He's been given all power and dominion both in heaven and upon earth. Isn't that the favorite title that Jesus had of himself? The Son of Man. He says in Mark 10, The Son of Man has come to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. And even when he stands before Pilate, an earthly beast as it were, seeking to devour him and Satan, using his power to try to crush him. What does Jesus reply to Pilate when he asks him if he's the king of the Jews? He says, Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's that's our hope. It's the one. It's the one who withstood the beast and the one who now sits at the right hand of power. And he's coming again to judge perfectly. That's what he says in Matthew 24, verse 30. He says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Son of Man is given a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So we see it from these 
three aspects of this heavenly dimension. And now we look at the interpretation of it in verse 26. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, that dominion of the beast, to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. What's happening is this. The overall message is this. That any power that the kingdoms of this world have to offer will indeed be transferred and given to the Son of Man. And He will exercise His dominion over the whole world. Isn't that why Satan's temptation was so foolish? Satan takes up Jesus onto the highest hill and he says, look, you can have all the kingdoms of this world if you just bow before me. But Jesus knew a better way. He knew that through the cross of Calvary and through living a perfect life as a son of man, he would inherit all the kingdoms of this world and be given all power and dominion forever and ever. And even adds one dimension to this interpretation. And that includes, from heaven's perspective, the saints of the Most High. In verse 27, And the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. The saints who are united to Christ by true and living faith will share in His reward and reign with Him forever and ever in His eternal kingdom, His everlasting kingdom. What an encouragement for us today. That's heaven's dimension. May may I ask you in closing, are you living your life simply under a human dimension of life. It's no wonder the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It's all emptiness. It's all fruitless. But see, when you live life under a heavenly dimension, then you're saying with Paul that we are already even though we don't fully understand it, even though we don't fully grasp it, we are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought of the life-giving power that gives in your spiritual life and in your earthly life? Is there a heavenly dimension to your life? How do you know? Maybe you can ask yourself today, what gets you so worked up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What gets you so worked up? What gets me so worked up? What gets me anxious? What gets me worried? What gets me filled with fear? 
If it's things of this world, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's security, if those are the things that get me worked up in life, from a human perspective, it should be terrifying. Because then I'm just like that beast that has iron teeth seeking to trample and to devour and to crush. Because it's all about me and my feelings and my preferences and my whatever. That's an, a human dimension. That's an earthly dimension. And it ought to be terrifying to know that that dimension will all be swallowed up in the pit of hell, in the lake of fire that burns forever. That's what ought to give me all kinds of fear. You see, instead of looking at everything from a horizontal level, uh, we need to look upward in, in a way of vertical looking. And we need to see the ancient of days. Seated on his throne, he's not wringing his hands wondering what he's going to do with these, these beasts down below that's coming out of the earth and all the chaos and the turmoil. He's not doing that. He's seated there in perfect glory. Now sometimes, I should qualify here, sometimes... I always have to discern in my own heart if this is what's really going on. I get worked up too. And, and there's nothing wrong with getting worked up about certain things as long as it's solely for the sake of the honor of God. If that's true, and we have every right to get worked up to defend the name and the honor and the glory of our God. That's true. But then we ought never to act like Peter. Wanting to defend the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. Drawing out his sword and wielding it and cutting off the high priest's ear. Jesus said, that's not part of my kingdom. Put your sword away. That's an earthly human dimension. My dimension is one of power. One of power. Mine is a gospel power. A gospel power that doesn't change people's actions, but changes their hearts. That will indeed change their actions. It's a gospel power that comes through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read through Daniel 7 through 12 and, and other apocalyptic literature, it's like, it's all of a sudden, you have all this chaos and turmoil, and then it's as if God says one little word, and things radically change. Notice that after the work of Christ in verse 14, we find that through his work, he's all of a sudden given glory and everyone's going to serve him. Did that happen because you were so vigilant for Christ? No, it happened through the power of God. It happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. And that's the power of God's kingdom. Would our efforts be less man-focused and more God-focused. That our efforts in way of changing this world and confronting the beast would be through prayer, through faith, 
That it would be through evangelism. That's the goal. That's the power of God unto salvation, the very gospel. Our efforts need to be God-focused in this world. And we need to understand that this world is passing by. There's a bulletin meditation last week, Alex Terbeg, you know, we're just passing through. Just passing through. And we're passing through as, as saints of God to an enduring kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever. Can I ask you, what else in this world has ever lasted forever and ever and ever? What has what do you have in life that's lasted you your whole life? What's your perspective on life? What's your greatest aspiration in life? Is it to be in a place of power as the most powerful king in this world, the most influential person in this world, well, I can tell you, you will surrender all of that power and all of that influence to the kingdom of Christ. Is it to be the most wealthy person in this world? Well, guess what? You will take all of that wealth and you will heap it at the feet of the saints of God and before Christ Jesus himself and be cast into the lake of fire. What is your aspiration in life? You see, if it's on an, a human earthly dimension, guess what? It's way too low. Even if it means becoming the prime minister, it's way too low. Because we, as saints of God, will reign with him forever and ever in an eternal kingdom. That needs to be your aspiration in life. Oh, dear congregation, life is always changing. Life is filled with challenges. We see that all around us. But I exhort you to look up to see the Son of Man. And doesn't Jesus even say that when you see the Son of Man lifted up, then you will know, I am. I am. I am that Savior who is lifted up as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. And if you believe in me, you shall have everlasting life. That's the gospel that comes to you today. As the Son of Man is lifted up in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of depravity, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of you being separated from God, He's lifted up and He calls you unto Himself to see the Son of Man so that you can stand before the Ancient of Days. And the books are open. And they will be opened. The books will be opened. And don't worry, God's not going to forget anything. He's got those 10,000 times 10,000 people there. If God would forget something, they probably would remember it. He's got, he's got infinite knowledge, immense knowledge. He knows every single thought. The books will be opened. And the only difference that there will be between the beasts of this earth 
and the saints of God is whether you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Did you surrender? Would you surrender to King Jesus today? Is there anywhere else you would like to go? Is there anyone else that's promising you anything better? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we stand before your word today, laid bare by the sword of the Spirit, by the word of God, that pierces and cuts and divides us right to the center of our hearts to show us our intentions, to, to show us our bestiality. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. Show us who we are of ourselves. That we might look up and see a perfect son of man who was lifted up. That we would believe in him. And that he as a Savior would deliver us from the turmoil of our own depravity, from our own separation from God, and give us heaven's dimension of reality. Oh, a Savior from the turmoil of this world and the powers of darkness to usher us into the kingdom of light. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer and save even to the uttermost, all who come to you, even in this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.